Father, we thank you for the great gift it is to be gathered as your people this morning, to freely open your word, to study it, and to be hearing your voice. As I speak today, may you make your word clear. Would you allow us to listen well as we seek to know your truth and to live it out in our lives? In your son's name, amen. Uh, If you've just joined us for the first time today, or if you haven't had the chance to follow along with our sermon series in Samuel, I want to welcome you. Uh, For the past couple of months, we have been going through the book of 1 Samuel, and the key theme, if you remember, is that this book is all about searching for good leadership. We're at a time in Israel's history where God's chosen people have been asking for a king, just like all the other nations. A couple of weeks ago, we were introduced to the ambiguous character of Saul. We see glimpses of goodness, but also moments in which uh, we kind of question whether or not he is fit to be a king. And last week, with God's spirit at work, we saw Saul's huge victory in battle, where he also solidified his role as king of Israel. Uh, And today's passage, we're kind of at an epilogue of the book uh, with Samuel's farewell. Uh, as the leader of Israel, as we head into the next section of Saul's kingship. So uh, we're going to be making our way through Samuel's farewell speech. Uh, And the way that I've broken it down for us is that we're going to be looking at it into three separate parts. So first, we're going to be looking back. Uh, Then we're going to see Samuel give Israel a warning. Uh, And then we're finally going to be looking forward both for Israel and for us as well. So if you've got your Bible in front of us, uh, let me encourage you to keep it open. We're going to be working our way through the passage. um, And let's start at verse 1 and look back with Samuel. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and gray and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, the Lord is witness against you and also his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, this speech marks the end of the period of the judges and the end of Samuel's time as the leader of Israel. Samuel begins his farewell address uh, by actually giving an account of his leadership Uh, and more specifically, how his service to the people of Israel has been upright and faithful. And with great confidence, uh, we read that even he asked for any Israelite to come forward and provide any evidence that might dispute his above-reproach leadership. Um, And we see that no one is able to come forward. Instead, they reply with the fact that Samuel has not cheated, nor has he oppressed them, and he hasn't taken anything from them as well. What we learn from this opening part of the chapter is that Samuel has been a man of God. He has served Israel as a judge, uh, as their priest, as their prophet, um, and he has done so faithfully under the Lord. Despite this reality, though, um, and we've seen this in previous weeks, Israel has demanded a king. They've failed to see that a leader who has been faithful to God has been in front of them this whole entire time. 
And so the fact that Samuel has not cheated them um, and has not taken anything from them uh, is a direct contrast to the description of a king in 1 Samuel 8. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Marshall ran us through uh, that passage, and you don't need to turn there, but uh, Samuel warns Israel that a king will take everything from them. Uh, But let's keep reading in 1 Samuel 12, from verse 6. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors up out of Egypt. Now then, stand here, because I am going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. So uh, what's Samuel doing here? Well, in the next part of his address, he he wants to remind Israel of some of the key moments in their history in which God has protected them. He saved them and remained faithful to them as well. So keep in mind that in the next couple of verses, Samuel is actually going to cover a period of four to five hundred years before them. Um, So we start with Moses and Aaron in verse 8, where we read, uh, After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot that that the Lord their God, so he sold them into the hand of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines and the king of Moab, who fought against them. So what do Israel do? Well, they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned. We have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Asherahs, but now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. And we see God's response uh, uh, that the Lord sent Jerob, Baal, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel, and he delivered you from the hands of your enemies. Um, so God sends judges uh, to deliver Israel. Uh, Jerobal is is Gideon's other name, and he also mentions Barak, Jephthah, and himself. Um, And so what I want to point out from this section uh, is that there's a key pattern that I believe Samuel is deliberately communicating. And if you've been around from our time in Judges last year, you would have seen that this pattern is quite familiar. For the past 500 years or so, Israel have been in a crisis. Uh, They've felt helpless, and they've had enemies coming after them. Uh, They cry out to God for help, and what does God do? Well, God sends someone, a prophet or a judge, to save them. And after some time of peace, Israel forgets all that the Lord has done. They become unfaithful to God, and the cycle repeats. Uh, More recently for Israel, Samuel recounts the events from last week uh, in verse 12. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Uh, So what can we look, uh, what can we learn from this opening section of looking back? Well, there's a couple of things. Samuel has been a faithful leader who has not taken anything from Israel. Uh, Israel has fallen into the same pattern of their ancestors, forgetting that God is the only leader that they needed. He was the one uh, that saved by sending a chosen leader to deliver them. And we read in verse 11 that they lived in safety. In every way possible, Israel's cry for a king was unnecessary. But more to that, it was actually a direct insult to God, who during all this time uh, has been their loving and faithful king, who has allowed them to live in peace and safety. So I wonder for each one of us this morning, uh, if I was to ask you, what is that 
uh, number one, worry or anxiety. Um, maybe it's a difficult decision that you have coming up. Um, maybe it's a, a sin that you've been wrestling with. Or maybe life is just really stressful at the moment. Whatever it may be, what is on your heart this morning? What is keeping you up at night? What is plaguing your mind? What are you scrolling away from? And then I want to ask you, where does God fit in that picture? Where is he when it comes to that anxiety or that decision that you need to make? How is he bringing you comfort with your stresses, if at all? We see for Israel that God wasn't on their minds. But instead, they wanted a human king to help them despite Samuel's accounts and testimony of God's love and faithfulness. Uh, hold on to all of those thoughts. Um, we're going to move on to the next part of the passage where we're going to see a warning from Samuel. So let's pick up things from verse 13. Now, here is the king that you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. As Samuel uh, continues his farewell address, he makes it clear that Saul is the king that they have chosen. While God has granted Saul to be their king, it was the offensive request of Israel to have one in the first place. So in many ways, God has handed Israel over to their own devices and in the coming weeks, we're going to see the fallout of that request as we dig deeper into 1 Samuel. But Samuel's message here is quite simple. Uh, it's to fear the Lord and serve him. This applies not just to Israel, but uh, more importantly, to their king. And what is about to happen if this isn't the case? Well, Samuel gives a clear warning in verse 15. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Um, fearing the Lord is a concept uh, that's kind of, it's found all throughout the Bible. Uh, and I feel like personally for myself, it's one of those things that pops up occasionally, you see a verse, you hear a verse about it, um, maybe you spend some time kind of meditating on it, um, but then you really struggle to kind of work out the reality of understanding it and how you live that out, um, or really understanding what that fear should look like. Um, to put simply, I'm not going to go fully in depth, but a right fear of God is having a reverence or a proper understanding of who he is and what he has done. Uh, earlier in the year, Sharon and I, uh, we had the joyful but also very tiring um, opportunity to dog sit uh, the beautiful Millie. Um, here she is. Uh, we dog sat her for two weeks. Um, enjoy the photos if you guys are dog lovers. Um, Millie was less than a year old, and amongst some of the toilet training and constant attention that she needed, um, Millie also strongly disliked men. I don't know if anyone owns a sausage dog, but like for some reason, just did not like men. Um, more specifically, she would get really angry if you kind of egged her on and you started running away. Um, and I know that unless you have a kind of a real fear of dogs, it would be so hard to be afraid of her because she is really cute. Um, but let me tell you, when you egged her on, um, when you ran away from her, she would chase you with this growl and aggressiveness. I don't know, there's something about dogs, like they, they can be cute and then all of a sudden they just turn into like their animal instincts. And um, I swear she could have bitten my finger off. Um, and as someone who genuinely loves dogs, uh, there were moments where I was kind of properly afraid. 
um, yeah, after some time uh, caring for her and being close to her, there was uh, also a distinct loyalty and affection that she would show to both me and Sharon. Um, and I finally understood that a dog really is a man's best friend. It was really hard to let her go. Um, but that's not necessarily the point of my story. Because um, in a similar way, uh, we ought to be afraid when we run away from God. He is the creator of the universe. He is a God of justice with a righteous wrath that as sinners, as people who have turned away from him, um, we deserve. Yet when we turn to him and stay with him, when we decide to place our utmost affection to him, uh, that growl that uh, Millie had, that growl that God has, his anger, that wrath is actually our protection and it becomes not for our destruction but for our uh, safety and for our salvation. So we can draw near to him, we, we share that intimacy and we find comfort in his arms. We're able to enjoy the majesty of God with a fear of reverence and awe, but not a, a cowering fear where we're afraid of his anger. Uh, we're going to explore that a, a little bit more later, but let's uh, continue with our passage. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. So what's happening here? Um, maybe Samuel could kind of see storm clouds coming, and he was timing his words so that by the time he finished his farewell, uh, I would finish, and it would start raining, and there would be thunder, and there would be really spe great special effects to the end of his speech. Um, I don't want to assume, but I don't think there's any farmers in the room, let alone any wheat farmers. Um, but if there was, that person would let us know that the right season to harvest wheat would be during dry weather. And so for Israel, uh, wheat harvest would occur in May and June each year, and this is their summer and spring months. Um, it's super dry, and so when they... When Samuel calls upon God to bring about the storm and rain, this is blowing their minds. It's, it's just completely different to what to expect uh, in that season of the year. And so because of this, Israel can clearly know Samuel's words are affirmed by God. And this leaves them in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. Um, the NIV says, uh, yeah, that they stood in awe of the Lord. Um, the ESV Bible translation probably has it more accurately in the fact that the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Uh, so what do Israel do next? Um, well, let's move to the final point, looking forward. And first, we're going to be looking forward for Israel. Uh, in the final section of Samuel's farewell, he continues to encourage Israel in how they ought to live with their new reality of having a king. Uh, read with me from verse 19. The people all said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Off the back of Samuel's words and the thunder and the rain from God, the people of Israel realized their sin in asking for a king. With their right and reverent fear of the Lord, they're repentant. Um, and how does Samuel respond? Well, in verse 20, uh, do not be afraid, Samuel replied. 
You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols, that they can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right, but be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you, yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Uh, Samuel comforts Israel and he reminds them of God's goodness and faithfulness. He tells them not to be afraid, but he reiterates his point from verse 14. Do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Like their ancestors before them, Israel is warned to not chase after useless idols because they cannot rescue them because they are useless. And it's nice repetition there, but it makes sense, right? These idols, these things that they're chasing after, uh, they're useless. But as they've just been reminded, God has always been with them and God has been the one who has rescued them time after time. Whilst their request for a king was sinful, uh, they've been graciously given the opportunity to make kingship work. And for this kingship to work, all of Israel and their king need to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. Otherwise, they will all perish. In the next couple of weeks, uh, as we dig deeper into 1 Samuel, we're going to continue the story. Uh, We'll see how Saul's lack of fear of the Lord and his disobedience is actually going to ultimately lead to his downfall and God turning his face away from him. Um, That's looking forward for Israel. Do not turn away from idols. Fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. But what about us this morning? Uh, How can Samuel's farewell speak into what we do next as we leave church this morning and as we head back into our weeks? Uh, There's a couple of things that we can consider and I particularly want to hone in Um, on the message Samuel repeats throughout the farewell, and it's summarized nicely in verse 24. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Whilst Israel's future relied upon their faithfulness uh, and their king's faithfulness to the Lord, the good news for me and you this morning is that we have a king that will remain faithful. We have a king that remained faithful to the point of death, to the point of receiving all of God's wrath on our behalf. We have a king who knows true and proper obedience. Uh, We read this in Philippians 2 about Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is our faithful king, who to the point of death remained obedient to the Lord. And Israel didn't get the opportunity to experience or to have a king like this. In that passage, uh, in the Philippians passage, we see that Jesus also sets an example for us in fearing the Lord. In 
that in his acts of humility, um, in becoming man, these are all practices of recognizing who God is and having the right reverence before him. So consider what great things he has done for you and for me. How much more powerful are those words knowing that God has done for me and you through Jesus? In light of that, as we consider Jesus, how are you going with faithfully serving him with all your heart? How are you going with fearing the Lord? Now, the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us, um, for me and for you, never promises to remove all of our fears um, or all of our struggles in our life. But the gospel promises you a God who will be by your side, a God who delivers his people from their enemies, and a God who sustains you through all seasons of life. The gospel encourages you to rightly orient your fear to God because he is the God of eternity and he is the God that can and does save. And I reckon uh, a key step in us uh, rightly orienting our fear towards God uh, to setting our hearts towards him is to recognize what idols you may be chasing after or what idols you're relying on to save you. In, I don't know if any of us read this book by Tim Keller, Counterfeit Gods, um, but he, he defines an idol as this. An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. Uh, in this book, uh, he helpfully gives us a number of diagnostic questions to work out what might be an idol in your life. And I know we've kind of dug a lot into a whole bunch of passages, so we won't spend a, a lot of time here, but I do want to share a couple of questions with you. Um, and let me encourage you, just in this week ahead, spend some time, um, you know, you can look up this video on YouTube, you can go back to these questions, spend some time with God, asking yourself some of these questions, um, and work out maybe what is going on in your current season of life. What is on your heart? What are some of the things that might be distracting you from God? What are some of the things that might be pulling you away from his attention? Um, so here are some of the questions. Um, what do I worry about the most? Uh, what do I run in in order to comfort myself when things go bad or get difficult? What do I do to cope? What are my release valves? What do I need to feel better? Uh, what often preoccupies me? What do I always daydream about? What prayer unanswered would make me seriously think about turning away from God? Uh, in whom or what do I trust in for my future? These questions will help identify your idols, uh, but what really needs to take place, and that's a, a great first step, um, is an act of repentance, to turn away from those things and to turn to Jesus because only Jesus can save. Uh, not your career, not your health, and not your family, and not your finances. Whatever it may be for you, those things, those idols will not save you. Um, because as we read in 1 Samuel, these idols are useless, uh, both in this life and in eternity. For those of you here this morning uh, who are trying to work out maybe who Jesus is, um, and you may be a newcomer, you may have just started coming along to church, um, but I also know in a room this big and just, I don't know, being in church for a while now, there's probably a few of you here today who have kind of been coming to church week in and week out. Um, and really deep down, you might know that it's been a long time since you've 
actually trusted Jesus, uh, you've genuinely lived for him, uh, maybe you've felt far from God, no matter who you are and where you fall on that spectrum, whether you're a newcomer, whether you're coming to church for a while, no matter what you've done, no matter what idols have been in the way, the good news this morning is that God, Jesus, the King of all humanity, your King is calling to you. Out of His grace, He wants to rescue you because His love for you is so, so deep. And He knows how you've been feeling. He knows how troublesome life has been for you, maybe. He knows how hard it is for you to find purpose in what you do every day, the loneliness, the emptiness, whatever it may be. He's asking you this morning to consider what great things He has done for you and to follow Him. So I ask you this morning, are you fearing the Lord? Or like Israel, are you being distracted by useless idols that can do you no good? They can't rescue you because they are useless. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things He has done for you. Consider Jesus. Consider all that He has done for me and for you. Serve him faithfully and trust that he is with you. Uh, why don't we pray and then we'll get the band up and we'll sing our final song. Father, thank you for all that you've done in sending your son to die for us. Thank you that through him we have a faithful king that we can rely on. Lord, by your grace, may you help us to fear you rightfully. Help us to align our hearts to you to serve you faithfully, and to consider all that you have done for us. I pray that for each one of us here today, as we battle with the numerous things in our lives, with idols, with struggles of sin, may you grant us your wisdom and strength to live wholeheartedly for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.